Welcome to the fifth episode of the Jack of All Trades podcast. Ola Joseph once said that diversity is not about how we differ. Diversity is about embracing one another's uniqueness. On today's show, we discuss all topics pertaining to diversity and inclusion through interviewing Dewan Baker, who is the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at the University of Nebraska. Some of the topics that we discuss are, one, how Dewan's story of growing up near Ferguson, Missouri and attending the University of Missouri as a student athlete has played a important role on why he believes diversity and inclusion is so important. Two, ways to effectively discuss diversity and inclusion on our campuses since it is a new topic and somewhat uncomfortable for some of us. And lastly, the Diversity and Inclusion Summit that's hosted at Nebraska every year now with the fourth one just happening earlier this month. Now tune in and listen as both Dewan and myself discuss such a crucial topic that is diversity and inclusion. The fifth episode of the Jack of All Trades podcast. Um, Dewan is the director of diversity and inclusion for the University of Nebraska's athletic department. Uh, can you give us some more of a introduction, Dewan, on what you do on your day-to-day uh, role within athletics yeah, with okay. the Huskers? Uh, first of all, I will say I appreciate you having me. Uh, definitely appreciate you reaching out. I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of uh, the Jack of All Trades podcast, so thank you for that. Uh, for a, a little bit about myself, as far as an introduction, uh, as Jack mentioned, my name is Duane Baker. I serve as the Diversity and Inclusion Director uh, in Athletics here in Nebraska. Uh, more personal, born and raised in, in St. Louis, Missouri. I was a track and field student athlete at the University of Missouri. I was a lone jumper there. Um, and some of the things that I do on the day-to-day basis in regards to diversity and inclusion, I try to identify opportunities for our athletic department to be more inclusive in, in how we do our work on a day-to-day basis. So, uh, for example, with uh, things such as social media, for example, um, if, if, if we have social media campaigns, I'll ask, hey, are there any ways that we can uh, kind of sprinkle in some, some inclusive practices or, or try to highlight some groups that are not necessarily um, highlighted as often to make sure that we're doing um, – that we're being morally just in, in giving credit to where credit is due for those specific populations that are not always uh, thought of or, or celebrated. Uh, in addition to that, I, I work across campus pretty often, just try to identify ways for us in a, as an athletic department to support, but also collaborate with campus groups who do this work on a day-to-day basis as well, um, serve on a number of committees, and also help run uh, one of our committees, our Huskers, Athletics, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee uh, that is comprised of myself and a few other individuals from across campus. Uh, so that's that's really what I do on a day-to-day uh, and also try to influence our staff uh, from athletics, from life skills, all across throughout our athletic department, um, influence them to be more inclusive in their actions and how it is that we can support our student-athletes and our staff and, and really driving this idea of diversity and inclusion on a day-to-day basis. Awesome. So with your day-to-day of, you know, driving – those key factors, uh, what do the terms diversity and inclusion mean to you just as a a person? Yeah, so for me, 
uh, I think diversity is having those uh, those mixed experiences and um, a number of different experiences that you can rely and relate back to. Uh, but in regards to diversity and inclusion together, I think it's really about celebrating the differences of different people and celebrating the differences of the different experiences that are all kind of in one conglomerate um, and taking the effort to really strive for not just equality but equity and celebrating those voices that aren't necessarily always um, as loud as, as some groups would like to put it. Um, I really try to make sure that uh, we do our best in celebrating uh, those groups, again, who don't speak as much or don't, um, their voice doesn't always rise to the top due to whatever factors that, that causes that, but make sure that we can kind of sidestep those factors and make sure that they're being celebrated just as much as everybody else. Um, and for me, I, I really try to attack diversity and inclusion from a, a personal philosophy uh, there are three steps that I always try to take, and that's, that's one is education. Uh, if we can educate people exactly about what it is, that's the basis. Um, two is engagement. Uh, try to find unique ways to engage individuals in regards to diversity and inclusion. And three is action. Uh, I think if we can engage people about it, if we can uh, educate people about it, and then if we can uh, create some action plans and really do some skill-based approach, uh, that we can really advance DNI as individuals and as a department as well. Awesome. So with the education, engagement, and the taking the action and uh, initiative with diversity and, and inclusion, and just specifically just in uh, sport, how do you think sport can be a driver um, to really go for social change like it's been going on right now with LeBron James, how he does so much in the forefront of a lot of people's minds, and just um, also – personal development and specifically just to you uh, why is this so important to your mission in life I know one of the things that if people want to know more about you they can go on your LinkedIn profile like I've been doing and just at the very top it mentions using sport as a driver for uh, social change so why is that so important to your mission in life yeah uh, that's really influenced by uh, my graduate program director, his name is uh, Dr. Richard Lapchick. He works at the University of Central Florida. Um, I, I owe a lot of how uh, how I maneuver in the industry and my personal life to him. So he's he's one of my heroes and uh, really appreciate everything he's done for me from a professional and a personal standpoint. So uh, that's something that I've heard him say a lot in grad school is just using sport to really drive this social change. Uh, but for me, I think it's really important because of really the space that I work in, especially in diversity and inclusion and working in sport. Um, sport is such a, a broad avenue that can bring a lot of people together. Fandom and passion is not um, its not a monopoly. It's not something that is specific to one group. Uh, fandom can span across many groups, and passion spans across literally everybody in the world, in my opinion. And sport is a way to really tap into that fandom and that passion for, um, in this specific case, if you're a basketball fan and you're a fan of the Lakers or LeBron, um, it really doesn't matter what you look like or what you do when it's game time. You're watching LeBron do his thing and try to get a win for you, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And specifically with our student athletes, I think the way that I try to champion in my uh, the way I try to champion sports and social change in my personal life is really speaking into them and letting them know that hey, they have a platform, they have an ability to really speak on things where people have um, a sharper focus on what they're doing just because they are athletes. Um, I, I still consider myself to be a lifelong athlete, even though I'm still not competing. And I know that I have a platform in working in athletics, and I have a platform in working with these young people to show that they are much more than athletes themselves, and they have the right and they have the privilege and should take the opportunity to really 
champion causes that they think is really, really important and use uh, their personal voice and platform to elevate those causes when people wouldn't necessarily be paying attention to them as much. Uh, that that's a that's a power that I think is really, really special and it's really unique. Uh, and I try to champion it in my everyday life just by passing it on to my student athletes and the admin that I work with, just saying, hey, if something is that is that important to you, uh, you got people watching you, you got people who who care about you, who are really rooting for your success on the field. There's nothing wrong with you saying, hey, I'm an athlete, but I really really enjoy this cause, whether it's um, you know, helping individuals escape poverty or homelessness or uh, trying to, uh, you know, fight injustices, whatever that necessary social change is, sport is a way for people to kind of get their eye on you as an athlete, for, but for you to really emphasize things that are important to you and how you can live a better life and help a better life for other people as well. I couldn't agree with that more. And uh, you mentioned Richard Lapchak. He is a very well-known and how he's played such a crucial role within your life. Uh, you also mentioned when you gave a brief introduction about yourself that you were a track and field student athlete at the University of Missouri. Yes. And most people within athletics and outside of athletics know that that university specifically has had a history of racial crimes and issues that have resulted in protests from the football team there as well as other athletes and just the general um, student body. So how has, you know, being a athlete from Missouri played a role in your life in terms of the racial divide that you strive to conquer on, on a daily basis? Yeah. Uh, when so when I was a student athlete at the University of Missouri, um, I was like I said, I ran track and field, and I didn't deal with a lot of the things that um, that I guess a normal student would deal with, just because of kind of that cloak of being a student athlete, and the ways that they really influenced me um, in my life in regards to kind of the racial divide. Uh, it really necessarily didn't really stem from athletics, but I saw how athletics could be a leader and how student-athletes, again, had this, this platform that people would pay attention to them more than other voices who weren't elevated as much. So uh, one thing that I think is, is really, really important to, to kind of conceptualize and put into to context is uh, really du the duality of student-athletes. The reason that specifically at Missouri why uh, a lot of these racial divides had, had really come into play, how athletes got involved, is because the student-athletes who were involved in, in kind of protesting were really connected to students from across campus and who really, really were championing that cause from on the campus and trying to stand up for people who, again, didn't necessarily always have the opportunity to stand up for themselves. So um, in regards to how the, the racial divides really play a key role in my life, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm born and raised in St. Louis, um, right around the area of Ferguson. Uh, I'm not from Ferguson myself, but I live probably about 10 minutes from where well, my parents live about 10 minutes from there now. Um, and really seeing how that happened my senior year of college and how it translated over to the University of Missouri and how our student body uh, really took to that and really didn't um, really didn't have a plan in place in regards to how to deal with that from a student and an admin perspective. That's something that really spoke to me in really examining how it is that we really need to be paying attention to voices that otherwise might feel marginalized and don't feel like that they can really speak up for things that are important for them. And so uh, that type of situation was really, really unfortunate, but it's a situation that was a really big catalyst for my growth as an individual and in my growth in the industry because it really showed me and it showed a lot of people around the world exactly 
what happens if we're not having a really sharp eye and focus on uh, specifically diversity and inclusion, but really the racial divide that really can play in our lives on a daily basis. So, um, again, very unfortunate situation. I'm, I'm really, really happy that uh, the university and the athletics is now in a better place than they were in 2015. But I think it was really, really important for the the industry, really important for the country, really important for the student-athletes to see exactly how this plays in our daily lives, even if we feel like we're not a direct uh, – we don't have a direct correlation with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, one of the things you mentioned is that it helped play a a role in uh, your growth within the industry. And right after you got done competing at the University of Missouri, you went on to uh, become a master's student of sport administration at the University of Central Florida with the program director being Richard Lapchak, who also, for those – that might not know operates the Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sport, which is known as TIDES. And during your time there, you served as a, a research assistant. Uh, what types of uh, research did um, you acquire and uh, what were some of the key outcomes that, that you discovered during that time? Yeah, most definitely. So uh, to backtrack a little bit, um, I'll speak briefly about how I got to UCF. So when I was a senior in college, um, I did a program called the McNair Scholars Program, and I was studying um, and doing research on uh, black athletic directors because at the time I thought I wanted to be an AD, um, and I thought it was really important for me to really understand how to get there and what the individuals who did do that, um, what they did to get there. And so um, while I was an undergrad, I actually used the TIES report in my research, and that's how I learned about UCF, the grad school. So I used that research, ended up uh, researching more about the school, thankfully got into the program and got to work on that same journal once I was a grad student. Um, and so the, the TIES has a journal called, um, the official name is the Racial and Gender Report Card. And what TIES tries to do is they try to create um, essentially a report card for racial and gender hiring practices for a majority of the major leagues, so Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, uh, the NBA, NFL, college sport. Um, throughout the NCAA, even the IOC, um, International Olympic Committee. And a lot of the research that I did was more uh, was more collecting the data more than anything. And so really reaching out to these companies and analyzing who exactly they were hiring um, and what their staffs look like from a racial and gender makeup. And some of the things that I learned was uh, the industry is really uh, lagging behind from a, from a totality standpoint that – uh, our, our staff rooms and our board rooms and our executives really don't look like a lot of the individuals who are playing that sport. Um, there has been some progress, of course, but I, I've also learned that there are some organizations who do it really, really well that I really wasn't um, expecting. So, like, for example, the NBA and the WNBA are, are really, really well in regards of how they hire their staffs and how they hire uh, racial and gender diversity in their organizations, and that was something that was really, really um, eye-opening to me. Uh, and to really see that there are some organizations who really champion that cause and take it take it serious and really try to walk the walk and talk the talk was something that was really, really good for me to kind of see uh, and see exactly what it is that was important for these organizations to really champion. Um, in regards to some, some other key outcomes of, of research, uh, one thing that I learned about college sports specifically is that college sports – isn't necessarily that great in, in regards to diversity and inclusion and hiring practices, but there has been 
uh, definitely has been a lot of progress. And um, I remember there was an interview that I did for, for my personal research when I was in undergrad with one of our um, athletic directors at the Division One level. I won't say his name, but one thing that he told me that I thought was really, really important to, to really grasp and think about is to say, hey, progress is coming, uh, but you have to remember kind of the context. Um, the first, really the first multicultural, specifically black, um, athletic administrators didn't really come around until the early 1970s. So um, us being, you know, 40 to 50 years ago, and now we're starting to get a little bit more traction in regards to how we are diversifying our staffs. Um, again, it's not super high, but there has been progress. And uh, one thing he told me to do was just say, hey, just, just be patient. It's going to come. You just have to be willing to kind of wait it out and do things that you can on a day-to-day basis to make sure that the industry changes. Um, and you really have to be the changes that you want to see. So if you if you want to diversify the staff, you got to get into the staff. Um, if you really want to drive diversity and inclusion in athletics, you got to be uh, you got to be a champion yourself. And so to just on this on and really champion that every single day was something that that I learned personally and something that I learned in the institute as well. So from that discussion with that athletic director, he mentioned that you had to be a change agent yourself and um the lack of staffing within sport is very well known and some of the leagues you know they have these roles in place which are more of in my opinion political gimmicks than uh anything else um but in terms of being the champion of this important topic uh, what types of uh initiatives have have you helped uh establish to not only make the University of Nebraska, but but Lincoln as a whole, a more diverse and inclusive community. Yeah, so things that I've done so far, um, we admittedly said that I would like to do obviously more, but uh, just kind of put it in, in a little context. I've been to the, in Nebraska for about five months now, um, and we'll really work diligently to see if there's anything I can do from a staffing perspective. Uh, but that's that's something that will continue to evolve as, as the time goes on. But things that I've I've started to do in regards of specific initiatives just for helping us as a university and us as a as a community as well. I've, I've been trying to really spotlight um, the stories of individuals who are already here. Um, and so one thing that we've done um, in the in the recent past is we do a diversity and inclusion summit every year, and and I'll talk more about that um, you know at a, at a later time, but. Uh, one thing that I'm, I'm really trying to do is make sure that we spotlight the individuals who are already here, who are already doing this work, or already have a personal story that really aligns with what we want to do in a diversity and inclusion standpoint. So uh, we had an intro video that we did that we showed at our summit about five minutes or so, and it's a collection of student athletes, staff members, and coaches uh, who really have either a personal affinity or a personal story in regards to diversity and inclusion. Um, and one of the things that I want to do is I want to make sure that these people are getting the, the credit that they deserve and the spotlight that they need. So uh, we'll start to do a monthly spotlight of these stories, uh, really showing our fans and showing our staff that, hey, there are people here in this, in, in this institution, in this department, who really care about this, and this is why we'll continue to champion it in, in that way. Uh, in addition to really showing the community, uh, one thing that, that I'm trying to do is really show our fans and our community what diversity looks like and how it can be impactful for us. Um, so this past weekend, uh, we had MPHC, which is the National Panhellenic Council, is um, essentially kind of the historically black Greek organizations. Uh, something really simple, we just invited them to perform at one of our halftime games for women's basketball. 
we have student athletes that belong to these organizations, and they're, you know, these organizations are a part of them. It's a part of their experience, and it's something that they have a immense pride in. Um, and we really wanted an opportunity to celebrate these organizations and show our staff, like, hey, this is something that goes on on our campuses every single day, something that our student athletes are involved in, and something that we really want to make sure that uh, we're giving you an opportunity to really see what diversity looks like more than anything, because um, historically we haven't done much of it, but we're definitely going to do a lot more now in regards of how we do that. Um, and how we uh, try to work with student athletes, there's, there's one thing that I'm working on now in regards to initiative. Um, on campus, we have this thing called the Inclusive Leadership Retreat that um, our administration helped create last year. Uh, and I'm trying my best to develop a way to bring that over to athletics, so I'm, I'm serving on a planning committee for that. Uh, but the thought process behind that is really um, how is it that – how do you develop a skill set in regards to diversity and inclusion? How do you become a more inclusive leader? That's really what the retreat gets at. Um, and by serving on this planning committee, I can learn the ins and outs of exactly how you plan the, the workshop and how it is that we can adapt it here and bring it over to athletics and teach it to our student athletes, specifically our student athlete leaders, and say, hey, uh, you're our leaders of our, of our departments, of our team. We're going to send you out into the world to be leaders, and that's what we're developing you to do. Uh, we believe it's really important for you to learn how to be more inclusive and in how it is that you can lead yourself and your teammates in this regards. And so we're really working actively to try to make sure that we can develop a way that our student-athletes can be involved in that process as well and learn how to be more inclusive leaders and do that workshop themselves or we adapt it and bring it to athletics so that they have the opportunity to do it and so that we can build them up as more inclusive leaders and send them out to the world to do the job that we think needs to be done. I think that that's so important. And one of the things, too, is, you know, bridging this gap is important for everybody involved because you you can learn from people that have different backgrounds and it's so great to be able to celebrate their differences right um and you know one of the things that you mentioned is having a affinity for this type of topic and this is a very upcoming topic which shows just as a, as, as a society how far behind we are, um, but it's specifically in athletics, positions such as yours as being the director of diversity and inclusion is becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, why do you think that this is becoming such a up, upcoming trend? Yes, yeah. uh, I think the – Outside from outside factors, so, so obviously the, the society, the, the political climate, the, the culture that we're living in today is going to play a, a major role in that. Uh, and I think that kind of goes without, without saying. But um, one thing that I think is really important to, uh, to, to put a spotlight on is I think our student athletes are getting more in tune with this personally and that a lot of our student athletes are going to our campuses um, and asking coaches and administrators exactly what it is that we're doing about this and that's making us as an industry really shape. Um, and change the policies in regards of how we talk about and work with diversity and inclusion. Um, I also think that um, from a national perspective, we're, we're trending towards a, a place now where um, eventually the minority will be the majority, and we will be fools in college athletics to think that that's not going to carry over to how we do our jobs and how our student-athletes and our staffs are going to look. So, um, again, we're, we're a little behind the eight ball, but also – 
you know, change doesn't happen overnight, and, and very rarely are people kind of out on the front of issues like this. And so I really commend the industry for at least taking a heart and look at it and trying their best to really prepare for it. Uh, but I think the the reason for the upcoming trend is really the, the, the national scope of things that are going on from a political crime and also just – our student-athletes are smart, and, and they're coming from places where um, their families and their, their backgrounds where this is really, really important, and they're coming into our spaces, and, you know, they're really asking what it is that we're going to do about this, and we have to be prepared as administrators and coaches to really address that. And so it's making us really tighten up our game and make sure that we can provide the best student-athlete experience that we can. And how and how do you think that we that we can do that based off of the athletes' wide ranging scope of uh, background as as well as the um, staff with, within the athletic departments? Well, I, I think the best way to to start really is honestly more so kind of intentionality and and listening. Um, I think in athletics we have a tendency of grouping a lot of um, teams or individuals into kind of this, this, this box that we think they're going to behave in and not really being intentional about how we're listening and how we're working with those specific groups. And so it really starts with us um, really wanting to learn more about specific experiences and how it is that those experiences uh, that they face either on campus or in our specific teams and departments and how that's going to play into their overall student-athlete experience and their overall experiences being a student. So um, it really takes for us to be a lot more intentional uh, and really going to ask the hard questions and ask the groups that really um, that we really need to learn more information about. You know, uh, I'm not sure if that makes total sense, but uh, I think that's the best way. And also, um, I think one thing that we can do in regards of, of preparing for this is really uh, really being open to, open about it with our staff. You know, diversity and inclusion is is a topic that a lot of people kind of shudder at. They're not really um, as open to talking about it because it's a very difficult conversation to have. Um, and, and, and so many of our institutions and so many of, of of really the organizations in our culture are not doing this as well as they could. Um, and and athletics is about, it's about winning. It's about passion. People don't want to be told that they're not doing things the best way, uh, but we really need to, approach the conversation in regards of, hey, we know we're not doing this the best way. We know we can get better. What can we do to make it better compared to, oh, this is really uncomfortable and this is something that I don't necessarily want to have to fix right now because we're, we're going to have to fix it. There's really no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's really just a matter of time in regards to when it's going to be more prevalent for your institution um, or for your department. But it's, it's going to become important. It's just a matter of when. Um, and if we can really embrace that conversation now compared to when it does become more of a priority, then it's going to help set us up better for the long run. Yeah, it's more about being, you know, proactive instead of reactive. And uh, you mentioned that it's such a hard conversation and topic to bring up. Why do you think that it's so difficult to bring up and uh, what could be maybe a piece of advice that, you that you could give to others um, to really ease the conversation. Yeah, I, I think it's difficult because one is it's really a, a, a sharp look on differences of experiences. Um, I think one thing that people want to believe, and, and myself included, not any specific group, but people want to believe that things are not as bad as they really are. Um, but sometimes that's just the reality. There, there are some things that 
and some organizations, some groups, some people that are, are not treated as well as they should be, and it's really based off something that is not necessarily very valid or it's based off something silly, and we have to listen to those organizations. We have to listen to those people who are saying these things and take it for what it is and really take their experience into consideration, you know. Um, we can't be so quick to jump on and putting our opinions on one specific group and how they say one thing is for them. Uh, that is not our place to jump on other people's experiences and, and really say what that is. We have to believe those people who are living those experiences every day and try to offer ourselves as resources to make sure that they understand how to navigate that experience and what resources are available to really help them out. Um, so, so some things that I, I would try to um, emphasize and try to give advice is um, really trying to find ways to build more empathy for our staff and for us as individuals. Um, I know that's not an easy thing, and I know sometimes it might it really sound really simple, just, oh, just be more empathetic, but uh, that's that's a skill set. Even though it's something that we think is, is really, really simple, it's not really simple to just be empathetic, you know, by the by the snap of a finger. That's something that you have to practice and you have to put yourself in a particular mindset to really understand um, and really practice on a day-to-day basis. So um, if we can build from a place of just being a little bit more empathetic and listening more than we talk, uh, I think that's a really good basis to at least start the conversation and start to hear some of the things that make us a little bit more uncomfortable that would drive us to really make the change that we, we think needs to be made. Yeah, and, you know, there's a famous quote that says, God gave us two ears and only one mouth, so always listen more than uh, you speak. And one of the things that you guys do so very well is – um take into account and consideration the different backgrounds of your athlete population as well as your guys' staff. And uh, one of the examples of this is the summit that you mentioned, the diversity and inclusion summit that you guys have had now for four years in a row. And uh, you've only been there for five months, but why was, the summit created and what type of an impact has it had on both the athletes and staff at Nebraska? Yeah. So, um, as you mentioned, started four years ago, we just finished our fourth, uh, about two weeks ago. It, it really was the brainchild of, of two people. Uh, one, my, my boss now, Keith Zimmer, uh, really championed the cause internally. And at the time he had a, a intern, uh, his name is Lawrence Chatter, so I'm, I'm going to give a shout-out to Lawrence because uh, whether he knows or not, he makes my role so much easier because of the groundwork that he laid um, just as an intern during his time here at, at, at Nebraska. But um, it really started based off those two conversations, those two having a conversation um, a few years back to say, hey, you know, this diversity and inclusion thing is really important. We're not really doing enough here. What can we do to make this an annual occurrence where our staff and student athletes are really committed to this? Um, and the idea was to do an annual summit just to make sure that uh, we can kind of ease into having those conversations and ease into really changing the landscape of how we do things. Uh, and so what, what what came from that conversation, again, was, was more so an annual summit to where, you know, no matter where you go, no matter what you're doing in your work, there's a specific day and time where this is something that's going to be talked about. This is something that is going to be a point of emphasis for all of our staff and our student athletes to know about and to listen to. And so... Uh, one thing that that is really, really important in regards to how it's going so far and, and how the student athletes and the staff have taken it, uh, now that it's going on, next year will be the fifth year. It's really went through a full cycle of 
a student athlete that came in as a freshman is now leaving as a senior. It's really built into the culture of the student athlete experience, and it's built into the culture as a staff as well. Um, so they know every year is coming up. They know that they're, um, you know, they're required to go. Um, some people don't necessarily like that it's required, but we believe that it's so important that all of our staff and our student athletes need to be in line with this and need to be in tune with this. So we we make it a requirement for people to go. Um, and, and the biggest change really has just really been in the culture of how it is talked about. You know, um, we really try our best to make sure that it's um, something that's simpler and something that we can talk about more often compared to less often. Um, and it's our way of trying to make sure that we get more on the on the proactive end compared to the reactive end to make sure that we're doing this on a year-to-year basis. And that, again, our student athletes and our staff know that once they come here to Nebraska, uh, they know this is something that we're going to do and we're going to do on a consistent basis because we, we take it serious here. And because you guys take it so seriously and that it's only a one-day event one one day for the athletes and then the next day for the coaches and staff and it plays such a key role in the change of culture and climate within your guys department i think it's something that everybody within athletics should try to implement because at the end of the day it's two days and and the difference is monumental and every year you guys have um different themes for the summit itself in this year, the themes were both the power of sport and the power of music. How and why were these themes chosen? Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, every year the the theme changes a little bit. Uh, But in regards to this year, um, they really changed based off of two ideas. Uh, One, uh, when I first came in, my boss had heard uh, this musical group, their name is uh, the Brazilian Twins, he heard them play um, at an event, and he said, hey, these, these guys are phenomenal, and I would really like to, to get involved with, with us in athletics. I'm just not sure how. Um, and one thing that we found out is that not only were they really good musicians, but they had a really, really compelling story in regards to how they got to the U.S. So uh, born and raised in Brazil, actually went to uh, University of Northern Iowa on a music scholarship. Uh, so in addition to playing their music, they also – uh, had that international background and, and really talk heavily about how they transition as international students, what it's like to face a new culture, and how it is that you can really interact and help people transition into a place that is, is brand new to them. So uh, we wanted to use them to, to really um, show people that diversity and inclusion is not really as difficult as people make it seem. Um, and in regards to the power of sport, um, in the past when uh, Nebraska was in the Big 12, Special Olympics was our uh, was the Big 12's community service part. So we used to do a lot of things with Special Olympics, but we haven't really done much with Special Olympics since we transitioned to the Big Ten. Um, and that was more so uh, really a more personal touch that we really wanted our student-athletes to see uh, how sport can be more inclusive and how Special Olympics tries to do that every single day. Uh, but also a little bit more strategic on our standpoint of engaging and working and supporting Special Olympics more now that we're not a partner with them. Um, in regards of how those two things were selected, in addition to that, uh, we really wanted to make diversity and inclusion simple from a from a definition standpoint and, and how it is that we relate and really interact with that term and how we think about it. You know, music is something that you listen to every single day. Uh, sport is something that our student-athletes do every day, and our administrators and coaches, they work with our student-athletes every day. So it's something that, that's a regular occurrence that is something we don't even think about. We just kind of do. Uh, almost naturally, and we really wanted to frame diversity and inclusion and how we approach it here 
uh, from those two aspects and say, hey, these are two things that you consider and do every single day. And they can be, well, diversity and inclusion can be as simple as using sport and using music to be more diverse and inclusive yourself. Um, we really emphasized personal stories, so we gave our, our participants, our student-athletes and our staff an opportunity to really have some dialogue about their personal story and how it is that, uh, that they think about diversity and inclusion and why that's important. Uh, and really emphasizing that if you, if you want to be more diverse and inclusive yourself, uh, or if we want to do it as a department, it starts with each of us individually and how it is that we think about this and how we share and listen to other people's stories. That's the basis of it. If you, if you can listen to and share your personal experience and, and actively listen to and try to include other people in what it is that you're creating, uh, some things that you're doing from a job perspective, from a work perspective, from a, a team perspective, et cetera, if you can do that well, everything else can come a little bit easier because you know what it's like to actively try to make somebody a part of the things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis. I couldn't agree more. And beyond the summit that you guys have, you guys also have several committees pertaining to diversity and inclusion that you brought up briefly. Um, Can you please explain the mission of each of these committees, how, how many there are and how they interact and engage with one another to achieve the mission of a more diverse and inclusive community within your guys' department? Yeah, most definitely. So um, officially we have three in athletics. Uh, we have our Haddock Committee, uh, which is our Husker Athletics Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Uh, that's a committee that, that I head now, now that I'm here in Nebraska. Um, and that's really comprised of myself and individuals from across campus who are doing uh, diversity and inclusion work on a day-to-day basis. So um, I won't name everybody just for, for the sake of time, but we have individuals from uh, our international students' office, from our multicultural center, our women's center, our LGBTQIA plus center, uh, and our services for students with disabilities. And so one thing that we try to do is I, I personally use them as a sounding board more than anything. So uh, they they really make my experience much better here, and they help us uh, really identify gaps and programs that we can be do and that we can serve as a partner with them um, and really try to do more events that are centered around diversity and inclusion. So, um, yes, we do the summit every single year, and that's something that our staff is, again, is, is required to do. Uh, but we try to make sure that athletics is supporting the individuals that are on campus that are doing this work as well and share those opportunities with our staff as well. Just say, hey, this is something that is on campus, uh, whether you are, you know, a part of it or not, um, it's something that we think is important and we want to just kind of give a little awareness to it, you know. Um, in addition to that, we have a gender equity uh, and diversity and inclusion committee. Uh, that's really under the direction of Pat Logston. She's our um, our deputy AD and ISWA. Um, and that committee is comprised of uh, mainly senior administrators who help run the overall strategic plan to diversity and inclusion and also um, our Title IX, uh, our Title IX plan. Um, and she's really the liaison between us and the, the NCAA. So she runs that committee more, and that's more aligned with making sure that we supply the necessary resources and that we um, align with Title, Title IX more than anything. Um, I serve as the link before the two, and that's why I serve on, on those two. Um, and then we also have a SAC uh, subcommittee for diversity and inclusion that's comprised of student-athletes who are serving um, on SAC or serving in SAC at the moment. Um, and they are really more so um, – they help shape a lot of our student-athlete diversity and inclusion programming. So they're our first line of defense in regards to planning the summit. Hey, how are your teammates or how are your classmates really going to take this? Um, how do you think this is going to 
be effective? Do you think this is good, not good, et cetera? Um, and they they also help give us a little bit of guidance and perspective in regards to some programmers that we plan outside of the summit as well. So uh, we have a number of, of, of projects and programs that, that we're planning now in regards to diversity and inclusion, and uh, they're always the first group of students I go to to say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Tell me if it's, it's good or not. And uh, they provide support where they can, whether that's helping with check-in, whether that's uh, helping serve as facilitators or, or whatever it is with that specific event. But uh, they they try their best to make sure that they are they're committed and that they're showing their commitment to diversity and inclusion as a committee as well. Awesome, yeah. I think it's great to have those multiple avenues to uh, approach this topic with. And specifically, I want to delve more into the SAC subcommittee for diversity and in and inclusion. Um, how does that subcommittee? really support the efforts of having a more inclusive athletic department. Everybody always talks about giving the voice to the athletes themselves. And I know that you guys do that tremendously through the life skills department there, as well as through other uh, initiatives. And this is, you know, a topic that we mentioned was pretty hard to bring up. So how does the SAC subcommittee work to um, tackle this issue? Yeah. Uh, One thing that they do that I I think is really important that I uh, learned once I got here is they try to keep in mind um, just how often the student-athletes are interacting with one another. And so uh, what I mean by that is one of the events that that we're trying to propose that that they are really getting behind and helping champion is – uh, we're attempting to do a movie movie screening in March, and that really has doesn't have a whole lot to do with diversity and inclusion. But the thought process was, hey, if this is something we we as a, as student athletes don't get a chance to interact with each other much, and if we want to be more inclusive uh, of how it is that we interact with our our teammates and our other you know Husker student athletes, we have to have opportunities to get together and get to know one each other more than we do now. Uh, so, you know, like most schools, obviously all of your teams are not going to know each other. They're not all going to connect with one another. Uh, but they really try their best to uh, present ways and present opportunities for student athletes to get together from cross teams or from cross organizations to make sure that they are really uh, getting to know one another and being more inclusive in how it is that they interact with one another as well. And so uh, they give support in that way. Uh, like I said, they're, they're a sounding board for me in regards of how it is that I like planning things or how. Uh, We try to do things here in athletics from a diversity and inclusion standpoint. Um, And one thing that I think is really, really important for them, too, is uh, this this committee is voluntary. So um, in SAC, you have a a choice. We have, I think, six different committees that we have on SAC, and all the individuals here have have actively selected to be a part of this DNI committee to make sure that they are being helpful for me uh, and helpful for us as a department as well uh, in, in how we really advance diversity and inclusion from a student athlete perspective. And is this a new subcommittee, or has this always been in place? Uh, it is not new this year. I want to say this is its third year, so uh, they were introduced in 2016. Awesome, yeah. I think that that's something that every single stat group should have. And as we wrap up this conversation, kind of want to just ask you some general questions it can be about diversity and inclusion, but it doesn't necessarily have to. Yeah. So 
the first one is if if you could give student athletes three pieces of advice, what would they be and why? First, I would tell student athletes to learn and embrace their full identity. Uh, why I believe it makes the transition from being a student athlete or being an athlete, period. I think it, tra- it makes the transition simpler. Um, and I think if you have a full grasp or at least can start to identify some things about yourself outside of your athletic ability that um, it's going to help you grow as a person and it's going to make you appreciate who you are a lot more and it's going to make your experience that much better, in my opinion. So it'll be first. Uh, secondly, I would say use your university career center. Um, they are extremely helpful and underutilized pretty much everywhere in the country. Uh, I think the the one thing that we have to understand as administrators is, uh, yes, student-athletes, when they're coming on their recruiting trips, when they're committing, when they're when they're playing, yes, they're playing for their teammates, they're playing for their coaches, but they're still members of that university. And the universities around this country, around this world, have so many resources in place that are so helpful that I think are not tapped into as much as they could be. So I would, I would definitely uh, recommend student-athletes to get to know more about the University Career Center um, and the Alumni Center, too, as well. Uh, and that they're really, really helpful and, I think, underutilized. And if you become a regular in those communities or a regular in those centers, that uh, once it's time for you to transition, that you won't have much of a problem transitioning because those people are going to look out for you the best way they can. Um, and then my last thing is I would say uh, I try to tell the student-athletes that I work with here, uh, I try to tell them to work on a rule of three. And so – for me, a rule of three is if you can have three experiences as a student, that's going to make you, again, more well-rounded. And once you get into the, the career and the job interview phase and things like that, um, it's going to give you uh, really check marks and an opportunity to really show that you had a full, diverse experience. So you already have one being a student athlete, so you can check that off the box. But are there two more things that, as you're a student here, that you can really give your time and effort to to help build out what your experience was, whether that's, hey, I was a student athlete, um, I joined SAC, and I did community service all three years with the uh, local veteran hospital. You know, I'm not exactly sure exactly what those three things are, but if you can really work based on that rule of three, I think it helps build you up and builds up your experience. It really helps build up that confidence in how you can uh, really have that duality between being a student and an athlete and how it really revolutionizes your full experience as a student athlete as well. And just tapping into that, advantage which all those are really really great lessons to teach and you know as being athletic staff members at our own universities and also the listeners how their employees within athletics most likely we always talk about you know the programming that we teach our athletes and so on and so forth, but I'm a firm believer that we can learn a lot from the athletes that we interact with on a daily basis, Yes. too. So um, with that being said, what are three things you've learned from the athletes that you serve on a daily basis? Uh, I think the first thing is um, I, I was a little – 
my experience is a little different because before I got here to Nebraska, I was I was working at the NCAA national office, so uh, I I had some experience working with student athletes from from grad school, but I didn't really get to interact with student athletes on a day to day basis. And the first thing that uh, that I, I've learned and continue to learn is that our student athletes are much smarter than I think we give them credit for. Uh, they pay attention to things and notice things that sometimes I don't notice, and they'll ask me questions that really throw me for a loop. Um, and it makes me do my homework and get back to them in, in regards of how it is that I can help them. So um, they're much smarter than we give them credit for, and I think they're much smarter in life compared to uh, academics specifically. But they really notice a lot of things, and uh, I'm, I'm really thankful for the student athletes that I work with. Um, two, they taught me to or teach me every day really to appreciate small wins. Uh, I think with life skills, student athlete development specifically, um, and really from, from a diversity and inclusion standpoint, um, I think sometimes as professionals we might get frustrated with the, with the numbers that do attend or really take it serious uh, because we, we all want to get better numbers. We all want to make sure that all of our student athletes, all of our students are taking this, all of our staffs are really taking this thing serious and see the value in it. But they've taught me to appreciate small wins, and one life change is still a life change. Um, and it's, it's really, really difficult for me to kind of feel down when I know that there's a student athlete in front of me who's really taken this serious and I've really helped impact their life. And, yes, I would like to get 100, but if I got one, that's still one more than, than I had yesterday, you know. So they, they really taught me to appreciate the small wins. Um, in addition to that, they also teach me the last thing is that it's, it's a long game. You're not going to change everybody right now. You're not going to change everybody tomorrow. Um, but you as an individual – you, you know, you're the, you're there for a reason, and you're helping them succeed, and you're helping them kind of shape and, and, and mold who, are they're, who they're going to become. And your impact in them is going to impact more people if you're doing it the right way, and they go on to impact more people and so on and so forth. So um, it's a long game. It's a, it's a ripple effect, and if you do the right thing with that one student athlete, then it's, it's going to make waves, and it's really going to change a lot more people than you can anticipate. I completely agree with all with all of those and you mentioned the fact that it is a long game and legacy is something that's brought up a lot. So um one of the last questions that I have is what's the legacy that you wish to leave? The legacy I would like to leave. Um, I want to be remembered as a servant, first of all. Um, I'm, I'm a firm believer that um, outside of, and I, I'm not saying to a specific faith or religion or anything like that, but um, I really believe that as people we're placed here on this earth to serve each other and serve others. And if I can be remembered as somebody who helps serve the people that he works with on a day-to-day basis, I, I'll, be, I'll be completely content with that. Uh, but in addition to that, the legacy that I want to leave is I, I want to be known as somebody who um, was a voice for the voiceless, and that's that's part of the reason why I really am, am passionate about diversity and inclusion. Um, I want to be remembered as somebody or leave a legacy of being on the right side of things that are happening uh, and that you can fight for people who don't have the capacity to fight for themselves or don't have – the opportunity to fight for themselves and that you can still be seen as somebody who is professional. You can still be seen as somebody who is, um, who is in the right light, who is doing things the right way that you can have that passion of really helping individuals um, who historically have not been helped as much 
and that you can still do everything the right way and still be seen as somebody who is uh, of the right mindset and doing things as as good as they need to be done. So uh, if I can leave that legacy and, and people can say that, hey, Dewan, he, no matter what he was doing, he was making sure that people were, uh, you know, achieving what it is that they wanted to achieve and he was doing everything he could to do that, then I'll be happy with that legacy. That is so great. Well, I want to take a moment to thank you, but before I do, uh, one of the other questions that I do have is how can others connect with you more? What type of social media platforms can they follow you on and just get to know more about you and learn more about your journey through life and what you're trying to uh, accomplish? Yeah. Um, so you can you can connect with me on Twitter. First of all, that's probably where I'm most active at Dewan B Baker, uh, all one word. Uh, and I, I tweet pretty often. I would say probably a, a few times a day or so. So that's probably where you'll catch me most often. Um, in addition to that, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn at any time. Um, same name, Dewan B as in boy Baker. Uh, you know, I accept most requests and. Um, really got to get back on my LinkedIn game as far as the post because I used to post pretty, pretty often, but I've more transitioned to Twitter more than anything. But I would say those two are, are probably the best. And uh, if you wanted to reach out to me via email, uh, you can reach me at D, as in dog, Baker, at huskers.com. That's my work email. Um, I, I try to be, I try my best to be attentive and make sure that I'm replying to everybody. Um, I don't necessarily get slammed at, at work with emails or anything like that, but uh, that's definitely something that, that you can do if you want to reach out to me. Uh, and, and Jack, if, if I can, can I say one more thing outside of connecting with me? Yes. All right. I, um, I'm, I'm thinking about one thing that I said earlier um, and really want to give a little bit more attention to that. And I, I think it was uh, more so about how to, um, how to, you know, influence people to, to get more into this diversity and inclusion thing. Um, I think it's really important for people to understand that this is a skill set, that, um, yes, you do this to help make sure that you're listening to the voices and that you're really helping people um, kind of be comfortable in their experience. That's that's 100% legitimate, but I think that diversity and inclusion and in how you interact with people and learning from different cultures and, and intercultural competency, that is a legitimate skill set, and I think you have to treat it as such, and if you can connect how you do diversity and inclusion to build on the skill set, whether that's being a more inclusive leader or, or leading multicultural groups or leading groups from different areas or different states, countries, et cetera. Um, if you can create that link between the two, I think you will get a lot more momentum in regards of how you do diversity and inclusion. Um, but I, I think one thing we need to do um, as administrators and as, as staff members, coaches, et cetera, is um, if we can really show that, hey, this is a legitimate skill that you can build and you can be good at and it's going to help you long-term in your career, that it will be more likely to be accepted upon um, upon your peers and, and your departments. That is so true. And uh, before I ask you the final question, I just wanted to take some time out to thank you for really championing this cause and, as you said, giving a voice to the voiceless so that we can hear and learn from the different backgrounds of everybody and just bridging the gap that we have within athletics but also society as a whole and how you do that on a daily basis through your own interactions and 
um, story is so phenomenal and uplifting to uh, hear about. So I appreciate thank that. you for that. And um, the final question is, uh, what's your definition of virtue? So virtue to me in this podcast is how to live a life of virtue. Uh, diversity and inclusion is one piece to really do that. And virtue is, you know, values that inspire the readiness to transform one's own understanding of excellence. So what is your own definition of what virtue means to you? Um, I'm, I was a little stumped when, <laughs> when you said that to me. But uh, for, for me, I think my, my definition isn't as built out as yours. Uh, but one thing that I think about virtue is um, I would define it as moral uprightness and doing not what is good for equality, but what is good for equity and doing it for just reasons. Um, I believe when you talk about virtue, um, it, it, it should align with what your personal values and what your personal philosophies are. But I'm a person that um, when I think of virtue, I think of people who do things for the who, who do things that are right. And they do them for the right reasons, and they're not they're not fearful of the backlash, you know. Um, and, and not to be so blind and, and, and so closed out that you don't take other thoughts into consideration, but um, you're convinced that what you're doing is is right, and that you know that the things that you're going to do is making a difference, and that you have the moral uprightness to stand in that and weather whatever storm is coming through when you're standing in that in that right value. That is so true, and, you know, what you do truly does make a impact and difference, and it's very visible that, that you live through your own values and pure motive to truly make a difference, and I just want to commend you for that, and uh, thank you for being on the show. Uh, I appreciate it, Jack. I, I definitely appreciate you reaching out, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to be on the on the show. Um, and I'm I'm here if you ever need anything, and for anybody that's listening, please connect with me if you have any questions, if you want to uh, comment or anything, if you want more clarity on any answers. I'm more than happy to to take the time to answer anything that you may need. And uh, I, I know that uh, this is this is new. I know that uh, this industry and how people do things is is uh, more copycat. So if you need any ideas, please let me know. Or if you have any ideas, please call me because I'm always looking for good ideas. And uh, I'm I'm just learning a day at a time, man. I'm trying my best to make a difference uh, because somebody made a different for, a difference for me. And I know what it's like to have somebody that's telling you the things that you can do. So I just try to be there for, for the people that I work with. I hope you all took away some meaningful nuggets from the conversation that I was able to have with Dewan. As we continue to build more diverse and inclusive student athlete bodies at our respective institutions. As always, please share this podcast if you enjoyed the content and until next time, continue to live a life filled with virtue.